Welcome to Backstage at Brick, your friendly neighborhood podcast here at Brick, all about what's going on in the performing arts department at Brick Arts Media. On stage, backstage, behind the scenes, everything in between. Uh, my name is BJ Evans, and I'm here with my um, guests today who are Brick Labbers. Y'all all know the Brick Lab program, our performing arts residency program. And we have new artists in the building. I'm so excited that they're here, and I'm just going to have them introduce themselves. They're working on a piece called Climate Change and Opera. And if you could just introduce yourself and what your role on the piece is. Yeah, I'm Zarina Shea. I'm the playwright. And I'm Sarah Hughes, the director. Hello, Zarina Shea and Sarah Hughes. Hello. Can Hi. I, so I would love to, if it's okay with you, just read the um, description of the piece for our listeners. So it is, it's easy to place the planet's changing climate in the future. To make it a frightening possibility, we should probably attend to when we have a minute. But climate change is now. Record-breaking storms have become quotidian, climate refugees are a reality, and there's an island of plastic off the coast of Japan. So how are we supposed to balance the day-to-day realities of being a human person in the world with the overwhelming reality of our planet's changing climate and our role in that change? Well, through songs, snacks, games, and binge-watching TV, for starters. So that's the description, which I love. And I just want to like dig in a little bit more of this piece that you're calling climate change an opera. So you're tackling climate change in a performing arts work. Is it an opera? <laughs> well, <laughs> technically, no. Yeah, no. It's not. It's not an opera. Say more about that, Sarita. Um, well, it was an, originally conceived as one. Sarah and I were paired together in the New Georgia's Jam, and we were both interested in climate change and interested in the form of opera and. Um, and felt that they might be a great pair and that opera is epic and massive and sort of difficult to comprehend all in one um, vision and climate change shares that. So uh, also opera is uh, inherently wasteful, (laughs) 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 has a lot of waste built into it. Um, Opera as we, I think. Yeah, as like the two shows I've seen at the Met. Right. Okay. (laughs) Sure. Just yeah, like we are coming at this from from the perspective of people being like, sure, I know what opera is. Um, And obviously there are many forms of it, but I think that just in the sort of popular conception, we were like, huh, it feels big enough as a medium to take on something like this. Yeah. And um, what made you want to take on climate change? That mm. actually, that was more Sarah than me originally. I've become a lot more invested in, well, now I'm like obsessed. But at the time I was like, yeah, that's an interesting issue. I mean, I was, I've always been much more like criminal justice, social justice, um, aware or obsessed. And then, yeah. Yeah. Um, it's just the thing I can't, really stop thinking about um, and I think that too for me was where where the opera idea or how it connected to opera for me was that again as someone who's not a big opera aficionado but um, with the work I've seen and been exposed to um, it feels like it's dealing always with these huge ideas of love and betrayal and revenge you know and I feel like that's often like the Mets marketing is like a story of love you know and like yeah, betrayal yeah. and like the these epic ideas, um, these sort of universal human um, cataclysmic, like emotions made cataclysmic, or a, a small uh, personal betrayal or relationship made sort of into this writ large um, with all these people on stage. 
Um, and I was sort of like, right, that is how climate change is starting to feel to me. It's not something that I can push to the side. It's sort of always there. Um, it's so enormous. It's inside of every decision I'm making and everything I'm thinking about. It's sort of always present. Um, so I think that was, yeah, sort of how I came to connecting it with the idea of opera. And then as we started working on it, yeah, I think... I don't know. I think Serena's text is very rhythmic and um, musical, but we didn't necessarily find our way to opera music. Yeah. I mean, so another reason that I was interested in the idea of the opera as a form is that I write in verse. My my music is in uh, my music. My language is inherently musical. And so it felt like a um, fun and worthwhile exercise. Um, but we we just kept moving forward without a composer. And then um, in the last iteration, in a talkback, somebody said, it is an opera. It's a spoken word opera. And that really like exploded it open for me. It was just permission, basically, to to embrace what we have and what it is and to continue in rewrites to really lean into the rhyme and the rhythm and the like to to let that be the thing mm-hmm. and and I would say formal like formal constraints of opera too you know there's an overture now yeah. in a more explicit way than there was and I would say you know that you could think of some of the characters moments of sort of breaking down or bursting forth with an idea as these sort of arias um, and that and that there's also this sort of like interplay of voices always you know there's that's for it's written for four voices and they're sort of all chiming in and rhythmically popping um back and forth between all four of them in this way that feels like it could be harmonies or could be um you know sort of a lead vocal and these sort of supporting vocals so i think there is yeah. There's just, there's music in it. Yeah, um, for sure. And, and even when there's moments of, like, there's never just dialogue. Even if there's a rest, that dialogue is still in rhythm. Yeah. Yeah. But it, I definitely <laughs> spent, like, four hours on the internet. <laughs> so I'm really schooled in what our <laughs> opera is. Like, I have a really clear idea, you guys, about the history of all of the forms. <laughs> and... um yeah, and like made little maps and graphs from myself and, tr- you know, tried to like paste into those what we were doing. So do you feel like you're having to defend the the title or explain the opera part? Or the, I know there was a question mark on the title for a while, yeah. but it was climate change and opera and you've taken the question mark away. I don't feel the least need to explain it. I mean, I'm actually thinking that it, I feel like now we need an exclamation point. Like climate change and opera exclamation point. (laughs) Yeah. It's just my personal instinct. I don't know. Yeah. I don't know. I mean, I think I definitely I feel like when I talk to people who sort of have a more (laughs) musical background, I'm always like, uh, well, it's not really an opera. (laughs) But I but I don't. Yeah, I, I wouldn't say that I feel like um, I can't. I don't know. I think it's interesting to take the idea of a form and sort of just say it is what it is. And that's what it is because we said that that's what it is and sort of push at um, the the sort of more traditional forms and 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 let it be 
epic in content with without being epic in I don't know musical ability or um, number of people on stage or all these other metrics that you might use to say like is this an opera um but um yeah so I feel I think that's interesting I think I always just want to be respectful of the many people I know who do opera that isn't the met you know that they do like opera in a loft somewhere and it can be that's fine like that's also an opera that it would exist in a small room somewhere um but it really is like it sort of is more at um hewing more closely to that form so I I that's that's the only way that I'm like oh are we are we are they sort of like hey wait a minute you can't call this an opera. Are you just trying to get grants? <laughs> <laughs> Not that we we haven't applied to any like music things with it. But. I mean, I appreciate the pushing against form and pushing boundaries and taking risks. Mm-hmm. I'm just curious if in your experience of doing that, you had come up against barriers to taking those risks. It sounds like so far, no. No. I mean, I guess I'm, I just refuse to see them. Like That's everything great. you just said is foreign to me. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, <laughs> no, like it just feels very nat- to me this feels that it it warrants its name. Yeah. And so Sarah, you had said epic and content. Mm-hmm. So that leads me into my next, you know, curiosity from you both is what kind of content are you trying to communicate? I mean, the idea of climate change like you said is epic. There's a lot wrapped up in it do you is it um is it like a narrative piece is it a play about people is it are you trying to like communicate things that are happening like what is without giving away too much because of course we want people to come and be surprised but what is that content you're trying to communicate yeah yeah (laughs) (laughs) if you don't mind saying yeah no no um go ahead no i i think that on some level ultimately it it is a piece that is looking to affect change um if if only through raising awareness without wagging a finger um too explicitly i mean i I think that the or or it's like wagging a finger at everybody including like myself and like you know the like it's like all of us um yeah Mm -hmm. yeah i mean I think we've been in both here so far in the last few days and when we were working on it at the LPAC Rough Draft Festival, um, I think we were kind of trying to nail down some facts about where, where it was taking place or why the voices of these characters were being heard at this moment or doing what they were doing, um... And I think it sort of, um, it resists um, being sort of a singular narrative or sitting sitting in a, in a more of a play. I, I guess, yeah, maybe it resists catharsis. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah, no, like it resists that. a narrative that's like, and then this happened, and then this happened, plot happens, and then there's a catharsis and a conclusion, and you can kind of leave it at the door door like I think it is um you're sort of being asked to like enter a mindset that doesn't that it will probably happen again I guess is something we keep coming back to is it feels like the thing is maybe on a loop I think it's a portrait of the conversations that a lot of us have inside of our our heads with ourselves every day often throughout the day yeah 
Yeah, which I think allows in a lot of different, a lot of different ideas, a lot of dissonance, um, a lot of humor, a lot of um, playfulness, too, because you can't, your brain can't sustain, like, sitting in darkness all the time. Um, and I feel like the characters, too, can't, they're sort of always bouncing back and forth between darkness and dread and playfulness and humor and all of that, um, because that's sort of necessary in and, order to not want to just die. <laughs> <laughs> so, Zarina, you said a few minutes ago that it's a piece that's really looking to affect change. Yeah. Um, and I love hearing that from you. And it leads me to ask, and it's really for both of you, do you think that this art form, do you think that theater, performing arts, do you think it can affect change? Oh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's why we're here, right? I, that's why I'm here. Yes. Um, and I think that the, like, not to be too broad or overly, um, I think that small is as good as profound change, <laughs> you know, like we'll take what we can get. I know that after the last iteration, I had a number of people say to me that they, um, had, you know, changed various habits as a result of seeing the show. Um, I think that, you know, Sarah had, has mentioned the idea before of, um, somehow coordinating with uh, people that are running for office mm -hmm. and, you know, like getting those names into a program so that people know who to vote for next time around or something like that, you know? I mean, that's like the bigger picture, but even just from a small, like, okay, this is how we draw attention to this issue and like make you aware of something that you are participating in that like maybe you didn't even realize before. That's, yeah. Yeah, I would say, I think that performance can ask the questions or open up the questions that can lead to the change like it's hard for me I don't know I wish I could say yes like theater makes change in the world but I don't know that I think that I think I think I don't know activists make change in the world and people um working on the front lines of various movements make change in the world. And sometimes politicians make change in the world. Um, I think artists ask the questions that push the change. And I think that's what, which is for me, it has to be enough for the moment. Maybe I will change my mind and become an environmental scientist, which is my other secret dream. Maybe. <laughs> I don't know. Um, but yeah, but I think that exactly it can, can we tie as this piece grows, how can we tie it to more direct action? Like what are the, um, who are the people to get in to see it? Who are the people to get connected with the piece um, so that the audience can see it, have those questions brought up and then immediately have a direct thing that they can do as opposed to like leaving, having questions, getting on the train getting an email, walking their dog and kind of having things dissipate. But hopefully I think, and I think that this piece, I think it asks a lot of, it asks more questions than it answers. And so hopefully even through getting on the train and walking your dog, you know, five days later, you think about it and maybe you do make a, make a, make a change, which is, that's exciting to hear, Serena, that people. Yeah. Yeah. 
Has it changed anything for the two of you or any of the collaborators on the piece? I'm curious about what your conversations have been like in rehearsals and through maybe some of the research you've done, if that has started to make you think even more, or maybe you came into it with a lot of research, but talk to me about maybe some of your personal changes. Hmm. I mean, minor, I came in not really, I mean, you know, aware of this issue, but not really thinking about it all the time. And now I think about it all the time. Really? Yeah. Like yeah. every decision. Wow. Um, so that, that's a big change for me personally. You were already. Clued yeah. In. I mean, that, I don't know. I feel like it's making you sound like, oh, I'm such a hero. I'm not. I just like I don't know. It's I feel like um for some reason I've always been the environment has even when I was a little kid, I mean, I wrote a letter to the principal when I was in first grade because I was very upset that we were using plastic cutlery and paper napkins and plastic plates. I was like, We need to have these be metal and they were like, It's hard because you're all six and you're really bad <laughs> at not throwing away your things like oh. you're bad at that so that's why and I was like no <laughs> like wow. no more styrofoam wow I don't know so that's always just been a thing but um yeah I would say I think that the conversations we've had in rehearsal have really made me um have opened up a lot of questions about how this issue sits for us like people who are working on this here in New York people who are, um, you know, have a certain degree of privilege and um, like autonomy in the world and versus people who don't, people who are in different communities who have fewer choices to make um, and has changed maybe some of my calculus around um, around like, yeah, questions of responsibility and and how this issue ties into how it really intersects with every other issue. It intersects with social justice. It intersects with, uh, you know, um, economics um, and ideas of, I don't know, alternatives to capitalism as we know it. (laughs) Uh, Yeah. And then I think specifically just working on this with such an incredibly generous and generative group of people has made me be like, oh my God, we don't need anything to make a show happen except garbage like literally garbage and like a bunch of creative thoughtful people like why do we build sets at all I think that's been something that I was like oh my god what (laughs) we can just we don't need we don't need anything just bring us your recycling have you been collecting a lot of recycling as you know we have (laughs) we have so much people have been very generous yes they've really stepped up they've stepped (laughs) up it's been amazing they've brought They've just brought brought it, yeah. including you. Thank I you. I have Thank a you. bin by my desk with a so with a grateful. little note, and then I put another note by the kitchen recycling that said, "Please consider donating <laughs> your so plastic to BJ instead." It's amazing. It matters. It helps. So it's been. And like the whole office has gotten into it. So everyone knows where the bin is and everyone's been bringing me their items for the past few weeks. And it's been a way to like bring all of us together. And like I get to see colleagues that I don't normally see because they come to my desk Mm -hmm. and like that just, I know it sounds sounds so like 
Pollyanna, but it's like people are stopping by my desk who normally wouldn't that mm-hmm. I don't normally work with, and they're bringing me their garbage, and they're like, "How's it going down there?" I'm like, "It's yes. great, thank you so much." What else do you need? Like, it's just kind of cool to all come together for something. That's amazing. That makes me so happy. <laughs> I love that. Isn't that what theater's for? That's beautiful. <laughs> yes, right. I feel like there's no other artists who are better at collaborating than theater artists. Mm-hmm. Really, mm-hmm. really believe yeah, that. It's built in. We are the best at it. So speaking of collaborations, we've touched on it a little bit, but I would love to hear more about the process. You said you have a generous, generative group of people in the room. You have a lot of garbage. Talk to me more about the process. You're in the Brick Lab. Everyone listening has heard me talk about it before that it is our process-based residency. It's for incubation. Um, The showings are next week on Thursday and Friday, the 10th and 11th, and really they're showings of a process. And they're meant to be, you know, information gathering moments. You can gather a lot of information by having an audience in the room. And so I would love to hear more about what kind of process you're engaging in, what's happening. Um, Yeah, say more about that. Um, so we've got a couple of, I mean, it's it's a completely new script, really, but like a few sections that weren't there at all before um, this workshop began. And so I think we've been focusing in on those and approaching them from all of the different angles that this residency affords. Um, so we have a choreographer diving in with her and all of our designers who are amazing and mm-hmm. building amazing stuff out Mm -hmm. of trash and the other (laughs) incredible things that brick has offered us um yeah i mean i'll let you speak more specifically yeah it's been very generous generative and generous both yeah yeah i mean i think the thing that's so amazing about this residency is just that we don't have to move ever oh my god (laughs) we can just be in the room and so which you might not I don't know, you might not think of it this way, but I would say with sound, that's so invaluable, almost more than any other. I mean, yes, of course, having all the garbage and specifically our, this world, I mean, we were, when we were rehearsing it before, we were dragging around dragging garbage trash which was kind of ridiculous um but we would like take turns yeah and then and then fantastically like when we got into LPAC they were like very we thought we were gonna have to strike it every night and they were like no no it's fine you can leave it in the space which was incredible even to get a taste of that um but to have be able to like set up a whole sound world especially because a lot of the sound in the piece this was just something we've always dreamed about and we yeah. talked about from the very beginning yeah. which I think when we were talking about opera and sound and sort of you know what are the um how would you make an how would you make an opera where there isn't an orchestra because I think we always were like there's probably Right. Yeah. That that was clear from the beginning. (laughs) Um, (laughs) So we were like, okay, well, so it's a sound designer, but like how would sound, how would a sound score exist? And I feel like that, you know, you've written it into the piece in a more explicit way. And that is, we have him, we have Eamon there with a table with, he literally was just walking around the room, finding things and putting them on the table and then like playing them to see what they sounded like. Like next to the microphone. He's like dumpster diving for instruments. It's so fun. He was like playing the tarp. 
the other day and he was just like <laughs> and you were like is that a snare drum no it it's sounds a like a snare wow. drum but so it's just, cool. yeah that with like next to a paper bag that he's crumpled up and is like tapping you know yeah. between i mean it just yeah oh, wow yeah and we had the actors do like a little sound workshop so they went around and found objects that they thought would be fun that could sound cool i mean it was like a jam session it really was yeah <laughs> No, and then Katie Rose is like, pick this line and make, you know, three movements for that and we'll put them all together into a line dance. Mm -hmm. Or like, no, because now a new element also is that there's a ballet. Mm -hmm. um, Again with the opera. Yeah. All operas have ballet. And Um, line dances? Well, that's her warm up. And (laughs) it's awesome. I love it. I'm going to have to see it. Yeah. I really want to. Yeah. And and then we have an overhead projector. So backs pit. Um, who's working uh, with Alejandro Fallardo as our, um, they're sort of our production design team, but Bax is focusing on, they use a lot of overhead projections in their work, and so they brought in an overhead projector, and we were sort of like putting objects on the overhead projector and playing around. You saw some of that yesterday. Yeah, like um, those old school, what you used to have if you're old enough. Yeah. Yes. In, yep. With yeah. transparent. With the vis-a-vis pin or whatever yeah. they're called. Yeah. Yes. Pins. In science class. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. And the like spray bottle. Didn't mm-hmm. they used to have to spray yeah. the bottle to like clear it? Yeah. yeah. So. They've been spraying. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And so then, yeah, what does that look like projected on different discarded materials? materials? Yeah. yeah. And do y'all have any hopes for the piece beyond this and I, I I hate to look too far in advance because it's like let's focus on the now and the process and answering questions about the work but do you have any hopes for the future of the piece or for maybe the next iteration or the next questions that you want to answer I mean definitely I, I feel like bigger picture it's just each each hour that we've spent downstairs I'm like oh my god if we could have a week just on this mm-hmm. you know like just on this section mm-hmm. I feel I don't. I mean, we were joking earlier that we solved the piece on the first day, but I, I do feel like just like just being able to be in the space all together with all of the stuff, so much becomes clear that isn't clear like sitting alone or mm-hmm. like just sitting in conversation somewhere else. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, there there is definitely more to explore and desire. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think I could imagine it. You know, being performed in a, you know, in a sort of more standard proscenium situation. Um, But I also, like I said, I feel like there's something about the repetitive nature of it and and how it feels like these voices are coming back and back and back to the same questions and the same ideas, which is kind of, that's what it feels like to me with climate change, like oh, God, how do we solve this? How do we get out of this cycle? How do we break the, like, loop of consumerism and fossil fuel dependence and all of this stuff? Um, yeah, I feel like there's a world where I'm like, it's a loop. It's performed over and over. And, mm-hmm. like, the, you walk through a world of trash. And I don't know, we're sort of playing with the idea of asking the audience to contribute pieces of garbage as they come in and is that something that like over time I think a piece something that's been in the piece from the beginning this idea of like how a small drip becomes a colossal crash is a phrase that's been uh in in the piece sort of from the beginning um and yeah what is that accumulation what's the what's the accumulation what's the visual of sort of seeing that accumulation of like yeah every time you buy a thing and you throw it away it doesn't go away you know every time you every action you've ever made and every human who's ever lived has made a mark on the planet and like when at what point does that 
become too much? At what point does that become impossible to ignore? And for whom and in what order and who, for who first <laughs> um, and, and how? Yeah. And I think there's something about making the audience complicit in that that I think at LPAC too we found like getting closer and closer to kind of encompassing them mm. felt good so I don't know what that means for where it goes or how yeah. it develops but I, a bunch of people came up to me after the LPAC showing and talked about touring schools mm, yeah um, yeah yeah, I could see that. And Sarah, you had mentioned earlier when we were talking about this idea of the apocalypse and that that's been on your mind recently. Mm-hmm. And I'd love to hear more about what you mean. I think you touched on it a little bit just then about um, th- the being complicit and everyone leaving their mark. And I would just love to hear more of what you are thinking when you are thinking about apocalypse. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, and I think this is something that Serena has like this has evolved and like is now deeply in the piece in that this is happening now. Like the piece is now before we were like, maybe it's in the future or something, but it's, it's very present. And I think that came out of conversations of like the idea that the apocalypse um, is happening sort of in some far off time. (laughs) That's maybe not our time. um, And that it is happening in a way that, Uh, reflects a Hollywood movie where it's a sort of singular event and like, oh my gosh, there'll be a tidal wave and then we'll all be gone. It's like, I can be at peace with that. I can be at peace with a sudden death of me and everyone I know all at the same time. That feels completely doable Um, (laughs) to me. uh, Maybe, I don't know. But, but, But the sort of creeping constant that we're in it now and whether we can feel it or not, it's happening. And, and that um, it's sort of a ridiculous privilege to think that it's a little bit far off or that it is singular in the way that I think that word apocalypse feels like it just feels it's one like day. a problematic narrative that I don't think either of us is interested in participating in, you know, that by placing it now in the present, we're being with it in the way that it actually exists. Yeah. You know? Which has been important to you, yeah. if I recall, dramaturgically, of making sure that it's in the now. Yes, extremely yeah. important. Yeah. And uh, Zarina, I know that this piece is, you had mentioned that your writing in this piece is very musical and lyrical. Do you normally write like that, would you yeah. say? Okay. <laughs> it's just how it comes out. Like I've like tried to intellectualize or, you know, for different artist statements, be like, this is, it's because it's just because like, it's just, it's just how it comes out of me. It's how my, it's how my thoughts happen in my head. Do you write for musical theater? Is that, it it hasn't happened yet, but it's definitely something I look forward to. Mm-hmm. All right. Any yeah. composers out there? Yeah. yeah give a shout. <laughs> give a shout. ZarinaShea.com. Mm-hmm. Right? I think. Truth. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Is there anything else, Zarina or Sarah, that either of you want to say about the piece or the process or about climate change or anything that I haven't asked that you would love to make sure you say? Mm. I mean, no. I just like, this has been awesome. <laughs> and uh, yeah, I wish it could just go on and on. Me too. <laughs> yeah, no, it's been amazing being here and just having the support to um, to like really experiment and kind of feel out this thing that is, yeah, can feel overwhelming because we're trying to talk about so many things and so many aspects of, of this enormous 
problem and topic. Um, but to have the space to really poke at it, <laughs> it's like so rare. Um, yeah. Is Come there, <laughs> yeah, I should do, do, I'll do my plug. Um, and then, you know, just to zero in a little bit on the topic of climate change, are there any, is there anything that really surprised you in some of your research about climate change specifically that came up that was like, whoa, that is, um, a new, new information, or I didn't realize that, or like really hit you hard. There are a couple, uh, how long ago it was understood that this was damaging, that, that our, that human behavior was having a damaging effect on the climate or on the atmosphere. Hmm. It was like the 1800s. Oh, wow. Like 18, mm-hmm. Well, 1896, but 18, that's the second yeah, so, so it's like it was a little earlier. It was before that. It was mid eighteen hundreds, I think, and um, so that was disturbing. And then also, just how built in oil is to everything, like probably every single thing in this room, most of my clothing, just how hard it is to actually avoid or you know um, not participate in damaging behavior. Hmm. Yeah. Thank Probably you. Probably impossible. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, I think, um, mm, I don't know, this is just the fact. This is, I mean, it is climate change. Like, obviously, pollution and um, plastic use is related, so it's all connected. But it's not, that's something interesting about, like, the trash is that um, the trash is, like, a symbol of, you know, it's not, it's not, like, garbage is climate change. That's not true um but it's sort of a like symbol of the it's a very visible symbol of accumulation i think it's something that people get really emotionally they're like wait there's that much plastic in the ocean is like that's somehow easier to get your head around than there's that much carbon (laughs) what (laughs) (laughs) wait what are the degrees again you know um so it's very tangible but um so this is just related to that but uh i looked up how many plastic bottles are used every year in the u.s and i think the um latest count I had for, was from 2017 and I can't remember the number off the top of my head but they had it both the overall number and then they had it by the minute so how many plastic bottles are sort of used and thrown away every minute and um, it's insane it's such a huge number um, and so then I was like okay we have this idea yeah. um, that I think Serena and I both got really excited so about excited. which was to like again to sort of get at this accumulation idea um, to throw plastic add more plastic bottles to the space in some way um, as the show progresses and what would be the correct number and how like how how many and how frequently and so I did um, for district one of Brooklyn which is where brick is I did out the math sort of per I guess I did permit per person per minute for the whole U.S. and then per person for Brooklyn or for District 1 of Brooklyn, and then per minute, it's 17, 17 bottles a minute, which is, you're like, 17, that's fine. And then you're like, no, per minute, minute. One minute, per minute for just this district, like, wow. which is actually the districts in Brooklyn aren't huge because it's no. so populous. So, yeah. Um, yeah, so it's 17 bottles a minute. So we may or may not be um, <laughs> experimenting that in the show. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, just sort of shocking. I don't know. And at the same time, you're like, I can't blame a person who needs to, who didn't bring their water bottle and has to buy a Poland Springs. Like, 
Is it that person's individual responsibility to no, like, and solve that's it? like yeah. very much at the heart of this exactly. piece. Exactly. There's no. It's not a blame game. I mean, the characters are blaming each other because we're all blaming ourselves or blaming each other. But like we with this piece are not blaming anybody. It's really just calling attention. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Thank you. Well, y'all listening out there should come see it. It is next Thursday and Friday, October 10th and 11th at 7 o'clock. There will be showings. These are work in process showings. So any audience who comes, be prepared to be part of the process and to engage with the artists and whatever kind of feedback they want to get from you. And you may or may not see a stage filled with 17 water bottles a minute as it progresses. <laughs> who knows? <laughs> um, <laughs> but definitely come and, you know, raise uh, raise your own awareness and think about climate change in a new way because um, Serena and Sarah really are um, helping us look at it in a new way, um, which I really appreciate. Um, again, that's next Thursday and Friday, October 10th and 11th. This has been another episode of Backstage at Brick. I am your host, BJ Evans. This is recorded at the podcast studio at Brick House. And my special guests today were Zarina Shea, playwright, and Sarah Hughes, director of Climate Change and Opera. Thanks so much for listening, and we will catch you next time. Mm-hmm.